Good morning, Whitecliff Church. Uh, what a beautiful line in the worship uh, that we just sang about. And the resurrection really is our bedrock, bedrock truth, isn't it? I would, uh, couldn't help but think about, uh, well, there was a little baby that was right in front of me. And as we were singing, I looked down at his face and it was very calm and peaceful. And I thought, you know, it really is true in Ecclesiastes, I think it's chapter 3, I can't remember, where he says there is a time to be born and then there's a time to die. And so uh, thinking about John and his mother, and I believe she's in her 90s, and this may be the last time that uh, he can be with her before she passes. And so uh, just remember John and his family in your prayers this week. It's a very hard time to go through. So, uh, John, if you have a chance to uh, hear this, just know that uh, we're praying for you. So, the scripture this morning is 1 John chapter 3, and it is from verse 4 through all the way through 10. So, listen please as I read the word of the Lord. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. I want to pray this morning first before we start. So let's... Uh, Lord God Almighty, we thank you for your holy scriptures, we thank you for your truth, and we thank you, Lord, for your servant, the Apostle John, who you uh, made, uh, gave him the words to write through the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that you guided his writing and what you wanted to say to us. So we thank you for your word, we thank you for your truth. And pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears, and open our minds so that we may understand the truth of your holy scriptures. So we ask these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So I want to remind you 
that the primary aim of this section of Scripture is to combat the false teachers who are corrupting the truth of the gospel that God himself promised from the very beginning of creation. John is very concerned that Christians know how to tell the truth from the false, the genuine and true believer from the corrupted and false ones. Last week I told you why the apostle specifically wrote this letter, to combat two main lies of the false teachers. The first was the denial of the reality of sin, and the second was a denial of who Christ is. They did not believe Jesus was the eternal Son of God, God who became flesh, who paid the penalty of sins for not only ours, but for the whole world. This week, we see how John boils it down for us so that the truth comes to the surface. He makes us see the lies for what they really are, sin and lawlessness, and how we can separate the truth of the gospel from the lies that are really from the darkness, the darkness that is all around us. John does this by giving us tests so that we can recognize the truth from the lies. And the four tests are these. Number one, a true Christian does not practice sin because sin is lawlessness. Two, a true Christian does not practice sin because it opposes the work of Christ. Three, a true Christian does not practice sin because Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. Four, a true Christian does not practice sin because it opposes the Holy Spirit. The true Christian does not make sin a habitual habit because he understands sin is lawlessness. Yes, we all have a sinful nature and sometimes we do sin. As a reminder, 1 John 1.8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can see that even the most righteous, faithful believer at times will sin. But there is a difference between committing a sin and continuing to sin. John wants us to understand that sin is lawlessness. It means that because you miss the mark of righteousness and cannot hold to the truth, you move over to one who commits lawless deeds of wickedness. It is like one who throws away the law of restraint and lives as a transgressor of that law. Listen to a description of what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, and then I will read verses 28 through 32. It describes those who throw away the law of restraint, and as a reminder, God created us with a moral compass. If we pay no attention to God's word, which points to true north, then our compass will not work, and we will get lost. And eventually, our ship will sink. These people are about to drown. So, Romans chapter 1, verse 18. 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. And verse 28 on. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. But what does the Lord say about the law? Listen to Matthew 5, 17 and 20. So I just want to read one more passage for you. <clears throat> this is the Lord. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So this is why Paul points out to us in Romans chapter 7 that if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Now listen to this carefully. Because of our sinful nature, as Paul explains in Romans chapter 7, our passions were aroused with all kinds of covetousness and desire so that the first time we broke the law, we died. We were under a death sentence, but since Christ fulfilled the law for us because he was without sin, he chose to pay our penalty of death for us by dying on a cross. So now by faith, we accept his death for ours, and his righteousness is imputed to us. Yes, we are saved by his grace and free from the law, but this is the point that we need to understand. The moral code of the law never goes away. This is what John is teaching. Never think that because you are saved by grace, you can go on sinning, and everything will be okay. You are, real, you are greatly mistaken if you do. 
If you have that attitude, it is doubtful you were saved to begin with because you do not understand the power of the gospel and what it means to be saved by his grace through faith in our Lord. That's why sin is really lawlessness. And Paul says, having died to that which held us captive, we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. The new way of the Spirit is that we have been reborn in the Spirit and put to death the evil deeds of the body. It is why Ephesians 4 tells us that we must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds because they are darkened in their understanding alienated from God, from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. Sin is lawlessness because it is wickedness. Also, this rebellion of life of sin causes a disconnect to take place in the mind where after a while, wrong can seem right and right becomes wrong. That's exactly the society we live in. It produces not only an act of wrongdoing, but a state of alienation from God. In God's eyes, and in the true Christian eyes, sin really is lawlessness. The second reason we cannot sin is that it is opposed to the work of Christ. Verse 5. Christ was revealed so that he might take away sins. The purpose of this for the believer is that through faith, we would be free from sin, that we would be able to live a life of righteousness because the power of sin has been broken, and we are no longer slaves to that sin. Christ died to sanctify us, to make us holy. To sin is going against his work and sacrifice on the cross. A life he freely gave in order that we might live. A true Christian understands that a life of sin opposes everything Christ has done for the believer. Remember what Christ said on the cross right before he died? When he took upon himself our sins and the sins of the whole world, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We do not understand what all happened there, but we can infer for the first time in all of eternity, there was a break in the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. We do not understand all the implications of what took place on that cross, but it is our responsibility to remember not only all the agony and suffering, but what it cost him to free us from the lawlessness that was leading to our death. In verse 6, John reminds us of the truth of the gospel. He proclaims it in black and white terms. First, if your habit is a sinful lifestyle, then you are practicing lawlessness. Second, Christ appeared to take away sins, and in in, in him is no sin. Therefore, we see from verse 6 that no one who claims to abide in him, no one who claims to remain in him, and have a personal relationship, keeps on sinning. It is like this. If you have a problem with stealing, and it has become a habit, then ask yourself if you are in Christ, and Christ is in you, that you really have a personal relationship with him, that you really are 
born again. Why? Because the fruit of your actions show that you have never repented, that you have not given him your life and asked for forgiveness. The fruit of your actions speaks for itself. We can fill it in with whatever might be the sin, remove stealing, and put in whatever applies. If you have habitual sin, you cannot claim to be a child of God. We see that we cannot live in sin and claim to be his child no matter what the sin is. You cannot refuse to repent if you are truly in Christ. We cannot go around murdering people and claiming to be Christian. Why should any other habitual sin be any different? And this is the test. Your fruit will either oppose him or you will prove that you belong to him by the way you live your life. If you repent and are sorry for your sins you have committed, then Christ will welcome you with open arms of love and forgiveness. But as Christians, we do not make a habit of sin and at the same time claim to know him. This is the truth of the gospel. What God expects from us. We cannot be salt and light if our salt and light disappear. Verse 7 says, Let no one deceive you. The word deceive means to lead astray. Remember, false teachers always pervert the truth of the gospel. Do not be fooled into believing anything that is not found in the Holy Scriptures of God. It is our responsibility to know and understand the sound doctrine of truth that the Bible proclaims. We need to be like the Bereans. In Acts 17, 11, it says that they received the word with all eagerness. And here's the key. Examining the Holy Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. This body of believers has a responsibility to be on guard. To know what the truth is. If I or anyone else here stands here and says anything that is not biblical, then we need to be confronted. If you are not sure, then ask that the scriptures be explained. Go to someone you trust, and if that person does not understand, then we will search the scriptures together to see if we can find the truth. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. We need to understand the basics of Christianity, the need for obedience, the need for love, and the need for a proper view of Christ. We need to be a people of prayer and well-grounded in the Bible. One way of not being deceived is to have a proper view of righteousness. John continues in verse 7 by saying, Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. The Greek word means to have justice in your decisions or doing what is right in the Lord's eyes. Correct righteousness means you are innocent in your decisions and have a correct view of justice. 
what is right versus what is wrong. We already know from the context of the scripture that righteousness and makes a practice of sinning are opposites. It has to do with a habitual lifestyle. He's telling us that your moral beliefs should be sharp, a sharp contrast to those who would want to deceive you because they do not understand the truth and power of the gospel and their habitual lifestyle of sin is of the devil. The one who practices sin is unrighteous. Since Christ died on the cross to transform us, to have a new birth or nature in him, we replace the habit of sin with the habit of righteous behavior or living. This transforms us into good works for Christ. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, God's solid foundation stands firm. Having this inscription, the Lord knows who are his, and anyone who names the name of the Lord must turn away from unrighteousness. Verse 8 says, The one who makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The name devil means accuser or slanderer. He was an angel who fell from heaven because he chose to rebel against God. That is why he is called Satan, which means adversary. Satan's sin, according to Isaiah 14.12, Ezekiel 28.13, and Revelation 12, was pride. And Peter tells us that we are to be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Peter tells us to resist him firm in our faith. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.26 that in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. We are to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. He tells us to put on the belt of truth. We need to do our best to understand the truth of the scriptures and the gospel of God. He tells us to put on the breastplate of righteousness, that we make sure that our decisions and character come from the righteous behavior that is in accordance with what is good and right in the Lord's eyes. That your feet would put on the readiness of the gospel of peace. Since you know you have peace with God, let the Lord be your divine strength so that you may stand firm because he is your strength and your shield. But in all circumstances, all circumstances of life, take on the shield of faith. Trust God in every situation. Why? Because with it, you will extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation. Be sure of your salvation and do not doubt him and his word. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Remember Christ used scripture to counter the temptations from Satan. Why do I remind you of this? 
to help you keep from falling into his trap. He seeks to destroy anyone who falls into the temptation of sin. Those who are truly born of God reflect the habit of righteousness. Satan's children practice sin. The third reason a true Christian does not practice sin is that Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 8. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. It was God's plan from the beginning. And from the moment of the fall of Adam and Eve, God revealed it to us. Genesis 3.15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. John MacArthur said that this is the first gospel proclaimed and is prophetic of the struggle and its outcome. Meaning, your offspring, which is Satan and unbelievers, who are called the devil's children in John 8.44, and her offspring, which is Christ, who is a descendant of Eve, and all those who belong to Christ. The message from this prophecy is this, that there is a day coming when Christ would defeat the serpent, which is Satan. Satan could only bruise Christ's heel or make him suffer. But Christ would bruise Satan's head and give him a fatal blow. Paul in Romans 1-2 says that the gospel was promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And Romans 5-6 says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. At the right time, God rescued you and me from the hand of your enemy. And at the right time, Paul tells us in Romans 16, 20, that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Hebrews 2.14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The Lord has freed us from sin and the power of death. And at the right time, he will throw the devil, who is Satan, into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever and ever. Therefore, since we are children of God and not of the devil, we do not need to fear Satan or worry about him. He has been defeated by Christ and his doom is sealed. We cannot practice sin because Christ came to destroy the devil's works. Verse 9, the fourth reason we do not practice sin is that it opposes the Holy Spirit. Since God gave us his Holy Spirit that gives birth to a new nature, this nature will always mature to righteousness, which is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is why we have been born again so that righteousness, the righteousness of God, may be revealed 
in our lives. True righteousness reflects the glory of God and will be the best witness to a dying world. Where whenever perversity and wickedness are a habit in our lives, we show that God and Christ are not present within us. To have the Spirit of God and the righteousness of God reflecting who you are means that you have been born again. It will bring forth fruit that will show the world who you belong to. The world and its ways prove they are the children of the devil. The Holy Spirit and the fruit of our righteous living prove that we are children of God. John makes it clear there is no middle ground. The truth of who we are will be known by how we live. John Calvin points out that the apostles' contention stands firm, that the end of regeneration is to destroy sin, and that all who are born of God live righteously and godly because God's Spirit corrects the lusting of sin. We cannot desire what is right unless assisted by the Holy Spirit. For us who have been born again, have this divine seed that abides in us, this new birth should and must produce a radical change. But the apostle says that if there is no change, you are still a child of the devil. Those who are truly born again are permanently transformed into a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. At the end of verse 10, the apostle makes it very clear that if you do not practice righteousness and love your brother, you are not of God. Or, simply put, you have not been born again. John is saying that righteousness and love are related. They go together. They are the same thing. First, what kind of love are we talking about? Again, he is talking about agape, to have goodwill toward your brother, to love someone because you want to let them know you care about their well-being. You choose to love them. You are at peace with your brother or sister in Christ. There is no conflict, and if there is, you are quick to forgive. You hold no grudges. You hold no unforgiveness or bitterness in your heart. You have patience with people and are not quick to judge. You are kind and considerate. You do not gossip unless you have kind words of praise for their goodwill. The one who does not love his brother is in moral darkness. And as a result, you are living in sin and error. I want to read you one more portion of scripture that really tells us what he's, this I'm talking about here. And that's in Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard 
that he had silenced the Sadducees. They gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall not, or you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. First, we are not loving God if we do not love our neighbor because he commands us to do so. So we are guilty of breaking both commandments. Second, we also are breaking the golden rule because we have ill will towards someone. Third, what right do we have to hold a grudge towards someone, toward anyone of unforgiveness? Did not God die for us even though we were still enemies of him? If God forgave us in Christ because he first loved us, then we do not have a right to not forgive our fellow brother or sister in Christ. To not love your brother shows you are not practicing righteousness and proves you are still a child of the devil. If you claim to be a child of God, then you will forgive and love your Christian brother and sister in Christ. No one can belong to both families. Either one belongs to God's family and lives out his righteous character, or one belongs to Satan's family and lives out his sinful nature. So how do all these scriptures apply to us? First, I hope that everyone clearly sees sin for what it is, how foul and monstrous it really is. The words grim and evil do not adequately describe what it is and what it is capable of. That's why Jeremiah says in 17.9 that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? But the Lord says, I search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. That is why he says in 2 Timothy 2.19, the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord must turn away from unrighteousness. The Apostle John clearly shows us where we are on the map of truth and lies. If you remain in Christ, you do not practice sin because you understand that sin is lawlessness. You understand that it opposes Christ. You understand that Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. And a true Christian also understands that sin opposes the Holy Spirit and go, goes against the Father and His Son. May we walk in the power and love of Christ. May we truly walk in righteousness loving and forgiving each other as we wait for Christ to appear. If we do this, then people will truly know we are children of God.